Thank you. I was speaking to Doug before our service. We always gathered together for prayer and I knew we were going to have that wonderful song. And I asked him, I wonder how many hundreds and thousands of times that's going to be sung around the world today. This week that we think about Reformation. So grateful for what Lisa shared with her with us, what God gave to her to share with us. That was a blessing as well, wasn't it? We think so much of what the Lord has given us as we think about the great and wonderful truth that he is a mighty fortress. He is our God. His kingdom is forever. And it's his kingdom, and it's his message, and it's his gospel. And that's what we always, always want to make known here and around the world. Amen? And we're committed to that. It's 500 years ago this week that that Catholic monk, Martin Luther, just nailed it. <laughs> As he nailed those statements of the great truths of the gospel. And we've been focusing on that Reformation truth for a few months here at West Park. If you're our guest today, we've been reminding ourselves of the heritage of the gospel. It's not the heritage of the Reformation itself, but it's what the Reformation brought to new light. And that was the old message of the pure gospel of God in Jesus Christ. And so this past summer, we had a series we called the, uh, our Summer Reformation as we focus on the five solas, the five great foundational truths of the Reformation. And that, those truths are grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, the scripture alone, and the glory of God alone. That's the message of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of that, the great Reformation truth. And then you might know, many of you were there on Wednesday nights, we, we wanted to understand a little bit more about that great Reformation. So we had a time of sharing about the Fab Five of the Reformation, we called it. And we began by thinking about John Wycliffe, who was the morning star of the Reformation, lived in the late uh, 1200s in the early 1300s in England and how God used him to break a small light into the spiritual darkness of that age. man that read his writings was a man from Bohemia, as it was known at that time, the Czech Republic today, John Huss. And Huss became a great teacher and a great theologian of those truths. And of course, as many of you know, was burned at the stake in Constance, Germany, for his faith. But before his passing, John Huss, whose name was meant literally goose. Huss or hoose means goose. He, he shared in a writing that they might cook the goose. He said that about himself. But ere long, the Lord would raise up a swan. And him they will not be able to silence. And a hundred years later, almost to exactly, was when the Lord raised up Martin Luther, who became known as that swan, and you could not shut him up. <laughs> he, he trumpeted the gospel 
Then we talked about John Calvin, the great theologian of the Reformation. Then William Tyndale, our English Bibles and all of their varieties really trace themselves to a man named William Tyndale who really created the English language as we know it by his translation of the Word of God into English. And because of his faithfulness, he too uh, suffered a martyr's death. How thankful we are for those who've gone before us and been faithful unto death, right? May we be faithful in our lives as well, come what may. We've talked about personal reformation these last few weeks because we can know historically the facts of the Reformation. We can understand the truths of the Reformation. But what we need to experience regularly is the reforming of ourselves, personal reformation, a personal reforming. It's a reformation that continues as we follow Jesus. That is a personal reformation. Jesus meets you where you are, but he will not leave you where you are. He has a place that he's going and he wants you to follow him there. And he has a path that's his particular path for each of his disciples. And he says, follow me. And what could be more exciting than to, on a daily basis, be reformed to the path that the Lord has for you as he follows you. What a great way to live, right? Personal reformation. And that reformation, reformation is continue for each of us as followers. And it's to also continue for the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must constantly, as his churches, reform ourselves to the gospel. To make sure that our faith and our practice aligns itself with the word of God. Because we all have a tendency, even as gathering bodies of Jesus, to drift our own way, don't we? We need to be reformed on the gospel, even as God's people. Well, we're going to continue to talk about reformation for the rest of the year. I've said that to you last week. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to talk about reforming Thanksgiving. We're already there. Can you believe that? What is Thanksgiving? It's known as the forgotten holiday. It's forgotten, but we should never forget it, right? Because we have so much for which we need to give thanks. And to reform our thanksgiving by truly being people who give thanks and thankfully give to the Lord. And then we'll finish up talking about reforming Christmas. Because if there's any time, season and year when we feel the pressure to conform to the world and it's philosophy and its values it's at that Christmas season and the madness of materialism and we need to make sure that we reform Christmas for ourselves our families and we claim it for what it is the celebration of the birth of our King Jesus right that's what it is now this morning I want us to think about the key theme of the Reformation. What was the key theme of the Reformation? The key theme of the Reformation was justification by faith. Justification by faith. How is a person made right with God? And the answer is the just shall live by faith. This is Romans chapter 1 verse 17. But it also is found in the prophet Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Yes, there is a prophet named Habakkuk. 
You need to read his letter because you're going to meet him in heaven someday. And he's going to ask you, did you read my letter? And you want to say, yeah, I read it. It was incredible. You're going to meet Habakkuk someday. And he was given the word of the Lord, the just shall live by faith. And that is the only verse in the Old Testament that's quoted three times in the New Testament. It's the bedrock message of the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. And that means that by faith, a believer comes to life. The just shall live by faith. By faith, a person who's believing in Jesus comes to spiritual life. But also by faith, a believer continues to live. A believer comes to life by faith and a believer continues to live by faith. We come to life by faith and we live out our lives by faith. From start to finish, our journey with the Lord is a journey of faith. Now that's the key theme of the Reformation. That's what the Reformers stood upon. It is the gospel truth. The just shall live by faith. Now, now here, what was the key trigger of the Reformation? What was it that made that Roman Catholic monk, Martin Luther, pick up his hammer and nails and go nail the 95 protest against the teaching of the church? What caused this faithful monk to nail those statements to his own church door. What was the trigger? Well, the key trigger was the selling of indulgences. It was the selling of indulgences. Now, what is an indulgence? What's an indulgence? An indulgence is this. An indulgence is the teaching of giving to purchase God's mercy. Giving money, giving to purchase God's mercy. That's exactly what it means. And it is still a recognized practice of the church of Rome in different ways. But in that day, it was flagrantly taught. Here is what had happened. The predecessor of Pope Leo, who was the Pope when Martin Luther nailed the statements to the door, his predecessor had bankrupt the Vatican by spending all the resources on the wars that he was conducting in various parts of the empire. He, had, he was considered himself a, a great military leader and he spent all the money on those military campaigns. His successor... Pope Leo had in his vision the building of a great cathedral over what were believed to be the graves of the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul to build this great St. Peter's Cathedral. But there was not enough money to build what was his vision. And so an official action was taken by he as the vicar of Christ, saying that if people would give to this holy cause 
an indulgence or a remission of penalty in purgatory would be given to them or anyone for whom they were giving this offering in that person's name who might already be in purgatory. The teaching of purgatory is that only the holy saints go directly to heaven. Everybody else has to first be purged purgatory of your unconfessed sins by going to a place that's like hell, but it's not eternal. That's the official teaching of the church not taught anywhere in the scriptures. So John Tietzel, a leader of the church, went throughout Europe holding plays, judgment plays, and challenging people to come and put money in the offer, offering, the coffers, for the remission of their guilt in purgatory, their penalty in purgatory, or that of loved ones that are already there. And he did this in very dramatic, dramatic fashion. Well, Martin Luther would not have that and not led him to go before Tietzel got to his region to make this protest by nailing these 95 statements to the church door. Because Martin Luther, even though he was not himself yet totally at peace with his salvation, he did know this. He knew that the gospel is God's mercy as a free gift. He knew that. He knew that that's what the gospel is. The gospel is not giving to purchase God's mercy. The gospel is God's mercy is a free gift to us in Christ. Totally undeserved. Without conditions. Freely given to all who believe. And Martin Luther knew that we give to God because of his mercy for us. That's the reason we are to give. See, the Reformation reforms our motivation for giving. The, the outworking of the Reformation, the gospel, is this. You do not give in order to purchase God's mercy. You give to God because you have received his mercy. It's, that's the motivation. And so... The key thought this morning, I want us to understand, and young people, if you're taking notes in your bulletin there, this is the key thought. The gospel transforms our motiv the motivation for our giving. The gospel transforms our motivation for giving. And so, therefore, it brings to us a stewardship reformation. A stewardship reformation. And that's the part that I'd like us to think about for these next few Sundays to help us reclaim thanksgiving and to help us understand what it means to be people who because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done in our lives, because we have freely received, we are motivated to freely and generously give to God. It's thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your gift of salvation. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have done for me. I give to you. Now that's reformation that has to take place in our hearts individually 
And we have to reform ourselves to that. Is that my attitude in my stewardship? Is that my attitude in my giving? Is it grace-based or is it works-based? What's our attitude as a church? How do we approach giving and stewardship as a church? What is our motivation? We have to be reformed because it's not about works. It's not about merit. It's about the mercy of God in our hearts, right? Now, what is stewardship? Let's start there. What is stewardship? We're talking about trusting God, trusting God, a stewardship reformation. Let's make sure we're understanding our terminology. What is stewardship? Stewardship basically means management. That's what it means. A steward is a manager. So stewardship means management. What it means in a Christian disciple sense is that we understand that we are managers of what belongs to God. God is owner. We are managers. Now, what does God own? Well, God says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He says, all the earth is mine. All the world is mine. He says, even the people that dwell on it are mine. I love what I heard one of our staff members, Larry Bradley, say yesterday. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he even owns the hills the cattle are standing on. All right. God owns it all. Why? Because he's creator. He owns the world and all it contains because he's creator. He owns us because he created us. As a matter of fact, he owns us twice because he created us. And now he has redeemed us by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're twice his. And so we're managers of what belongs to God because it's all God's and we're God's. That's where a stewardship reformation starts. What incredible privilege that is. To manage God's resources. What a responsibility. To manage God's resources. And what an incredible joy. To be involved with God in his stuff. So this morning what I want to do is just take a few minutes. And I just want us to begin what we'll do today. And Lord willing next Sunday or two. I just want, let's just talk. Okay. Let's talk. First of all. Let's talk about the tension. Let's talk about the tension. Let's talk about the tension that might be in the room right now. And here's the tension. I think Sam's talking about money. He hasn't, he hasn't used the M word yet, but I think he is. Yeah, I think that's what he's using those Sunday morning words. But I think he's talking about money. Well, let's just acknowledge the tension. Yes, I'm talking about money. And anytime we talk about money, we have to acknowledge that when, it, when we come to giving, that's, that's personal and private. Understand that. And we, and we sense that. That's personal and private. And there's a possibility of abusing that. And it has been abused and it is abused. Let's just acknowledge it. There is so much abuse out there in the name of religion when it comes to money. So we just acknowledge that. But let's also acknowledge this about money. That the use of money is eternal and it's biblical. It's maybe personal and private, 
but it's also eternal and biblical. The Bible is filled with hundreds of references about how we use God's resources and enjoy his resources. Hundreds and hundreds of passages. You know, I'm always amused when I hear about people say, you know, I want to go to church where they don't talk about money. I want to go to church where they never talk about money. And friend, I'm sure that's no one in this wonderful room. But if someone has this, had that idea, you could go to a church like that. But let me tell you, it will not be a biblical church. You cannot go to a biblical church and that church never in any of its teaching talks about the Bible, about giving rather, because the Bible is filled with talking about giving. Now, you can go to something that may be called a church. It may be called a church, but it might in reality be a support group for Coveters Anonymous. That's what it might be, all right? <laughs> Looks like a church, has services like a church, but won't ever talk about money. Well... The Lord talks about it, and he makes incredible promises about it. Now, I will make you this promise this morning. And it is, I want to address the tension again. This is an unconditional promise I have kept by God's grace. In five weeks, it'll be 31 years that I have kept this promise, and I promise you again, you will never, ever be pressured or hassled by me about your giving. It won't ever happen, ever. That's number one. Number two, you will never, ever receive preferential treatment because of what a person gives or does not give. It will never, ever happen. That's the reason I don't know what anybody gives. I make a determination not to know what anybody gives because I do not relate to you as your pastor based on what you do or do not give. I'm called to be your shepherd, not your accountant. My concern is for your soul, not your 403B or K, 1K or whatever abacadabra investment might be. But I am concerned that you know Christ and experience Christ and Christ is formed in you. And you know the joy, the joy that fills the heart of, of a generous soul. I am concerned about that. But I promise you, I'll never and no one ever will deal with you based on what you give or don't give. So let's just put that out there for attention any tension gone? <laughs> tension gone? <laughs> Some of you are saying, I think so. <laughs> I think, oh, I feel better. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know about you, but I've preached myself happy. All right. <laughs> so let's just, we'll just talk about the tension. Number two, let's talk about this chest here, huh? Let's talk about this chest. I want you to see the picture of this chest. This is... We'll get, get a better one that we can clarify just a little bit. But this is the chest of Jehovah Jireh. I want to talk to you about this chest. It's, we haven't had it out here in a while. And uh, that's, that's not a good thing. We're going to correct that. 
But it's been around for a long time. Let me tell you the story behind this, if I might. Many years ago, back in February of 1988, I'd been the pastor here for about 14 months. And when I came here to pastor, the Lord blessed me and Susan with a wonderful, wonderful, incredible core group of prayed up, committed to Christ, remnant people. But the finances were absolutely, unbelievably bad. Uh, the church had lost its building, had a couple World's Fair buildings, facing a huge balloon debt that was coming down the road. Uh, a church about one-sixth the size that it had been a few years before. And the only way you could describe it, it was like standing before an open grave on a banana peel. That's what it was like. It was, there had been actual discussions about closing the church and selling any resources that it had because things were just that bad. But God started to touch hearts and our church began to turn and grow. And we needed to build a building. And <laughs> there had been a lot of bad experiences here by people about a building previous. And they didn't trust this 31-year-old <laughs> to lead them into this thing. And I didn't trust myself. So I went to this conference, and I went to a pastor's conference in Jacksonville, Florida. It was held at First Baptist Jacksonville. Some friends encouraged me to go there, and I went there. And I, this church, amazing church, still to this day, thriving, incredible history. And I went around, I listened, and I learned, and they had literature. I got every piece of literature they had. I came back with a suitcase full of literature. And within a few weeks, I knew more about First Baptist Jacksonville than anybody that went there. I knew all about it. I had learned so much, and the pastors would help me, and I'd call them. But I found out they had this Sunday they called the Chest of Joash Sunday. The Chest of Joash. And it went back to the story in the Bible how the temple was in disrepair, and there was no money, and King Joash had a chest made and put in the temple court, and whoever wanted to could make free will offering for the restoration of the temple. Well, the pastor that came to First Jacksonville in 1942 came to the church that had the highest debt of any church in the United States. As a matter of fact, it was in receivership and had already lost one of its buildings. But that young pastor by the name of Homer Lindsay Sr., had this vision about the chest of Joash and he challenged the people that if they would give and they would trust God that he would provide. And so they began to give and they gave to this chest of Joash offering and they did it year after year after year and the church went completely out of that terrible financial situation. God blessed the ministry. Thousands and thousands came to Christ. By the time I was there in 1988, they'd been having the chest of Joash Sunday for 46 years. And the church had grown so that now they had to have 12 chests to receive the offering. Lord, may it be so. Okay. So, but I will tell you, they were smaller, a little smaller than this. Okay. Well, we were going into that, that built, needed a building. And I was praying about that. And that touched my heart. 
But the chest of Joash just didn't seem, that just didn't seem right. That just, what is it? What is it? So I was praying about that. I had the idea that God will provide. He will provide for our needs. We'll trust him. He is the God who provides Jehovah Jireh. So I had this idea of the chest of Jehovah Jireh. Now, about that time, we were having a men's retreat. And I took with me this new convert, this man by the name, his name is Leroy Lamontine. He was a master carpenter, brand new Christian. We went to the men's retreat and I started talking to him about this chest. And he and I were sitting there with coffee and we got a napkin off the table. And I started sketching this thing as best I could, what was in my mind. And so Leroy's watching me, and I'm telling him what, it, what I see it looking like. And he says, I, I think I could help you with that. I said, okay, let's see what you could do. Well, a couple of weeks later, Leroy called me to come over to his shop. And he had built the chest of Jehovah Jireh out of cardboard. He said, I didn't want to do it first. Let's see what you think about it. So, oh, man, that's great. That's wonderful. And he said, what kind of wood would you like? I said, I've always liked cherry. And so... He got that and told him what some of the emblems I wanted to be. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about that maybe next Sunday or two. And Leroy made this thing. Uh, here's a side story. Leroy met a young uh, single mom here at our church, Timberly Goodling. They got married. God blessed them. He was called away to be the chief carpenter at the Creation Museum over all the carpentry work at the Creation Museum, and now over all the carpentry work at the Ark Experience. He's a rock star up there. I can go up there and they say, who are you? I say, well, I'm a friend of Leroy. Are you a friend of Leroy? <laughs> I mean, he, he's famous up there now. His, pray for him. His wife, Timberly, just passed a few weeks ago. Uh, and uh, pray for him. A wonderful man. But we had this box, and the idea was giving to God because God has given to us. Giving from the provision that God has given to us to receive the provision that he has for us. And over the years, God blessed us as being able from time to time to receive offerings and give offerings so that uh, the buildings could be built, the uh, the, one of our education buildings, as we gave offerings and commitments through this, our gymnasium, the expansion of this auditorium, the purchase of the land next to us, the building of the hub, all of this as God being Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. The name comes from this wonderful promise, and I close here this morning just with these two verses. It's in our text, Genesis 22. And it'll help us as we go to communion. Verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Now make sure you don't miss the significance here. Abraham and Isaac have been climbing one of the ridges of the mountains of Moriah. The ridges of the mountains of Moriah is that's where Jerusalem is built. 
One of those ridges is Mount Calvary. I believe it's the very hill. This is a dress rehearsal for Calvary. The father and the son with the son carrying the wood on his back. The wood for the sacrifice. Carrying his own cross. Up to the top of the hill. The father's heart agonizing. But he must be obedient. God has asked for his son. And the boy, not a little toddler, 14 or 15 years of age, lays himself down on that wood and allows his father, who is 114 years old, to stretch out his knife over his neck. Isaac lets his father do that. And at the last moment, when Abraham, in obedience to his God and faith, is about to stab his son, God calls out. says, don't touch him. And he looks, lifts up his eyes, and what does he see? A ram crowned with thorns on the top of the hill. And he offered up the ram in the place of his son. And it's such an awe-inspiring moment for Abraham and Isaac. Awe-inspiring moment what God has done. Abraham says, I must name this place. And he names it and names his God. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. 